I'm Brandon Isle. I'm with BYU-Idaho Radio, and joining me on Zoom is Randy Lavoie. Randy, thanks for joining me today. Um, just by way of introduction, you were here at Ricks College in 1969-1970 time, and you were involved with the radio station then. Uh, this is pre-BYU-Idaho Radio, pre-KRIC. This was right. KVIK days. Is that yeah. right? Yes, absolutely. We were the Vikings. <laughs> is it still I, the Vikings? So uh, when we changed to BYU-Idaho, um, we abandoned all sports. And so no more mascot. The Vikings yeah. are gone. <laughs> okay. Okay. But first of all, just tell me about how you got involved in radio and kind of the beginning of this KVIK. Um, it goes back to high school, actually. I was fascinated with uh, broadcasting, and I was kind of the class clown. So it was one of those things that you immediately say, well, how can I reach a lot of people quickly <laughs> and see whether or not you're uh, really liked or not? Anyhow, I, I would go down to the radio station and uh, sit and listen to the disc jockeys and just talk with them uh, in San Jose, California. I was in um, a, uh, a ward in San Jose where the stake president's daughter was my uh, best friend. And he was he actually owned three radio stations or five. I can't remember. Um, in San Jose, he owned two radio stations. I think one in Las Vegas, a couple more. But they were country at the time, and I didn't know anything about country. I just wanted to play rock and roll. <laughs> but he sent me to um, a place called uh, Ogden's Radio Operational Engineering School, and uh, that's where you had to get a first phone. At that time, you couldn't be on the air at nighttime because you had to switch the transmitters. And all it took was pushing a button but you had to become a first phone operator. So uh, while I was down there, I met uh, uh, quite a few people who were uh, who have become big in the industry. Uh, one of them is Shotgun Tom Kelly out of uh, K-Earth in Los Angeles. He's now on uh, oh, uh, Sirius XM. Uh, there's, uh, Dave Sholin, who was the Duke. And I actually used that name on KVIK, the Duke, because I was, uh, admi I admired what he did, but he actually became, uh, the radio voice like Casey Kasem. And, uh, he did the military, uh, version of that. Anyhow, make a long story longer. Um, when I went to Rick's college, uh, I was in broadcasting. Kay Wilkins was the uh, advisor at the time. He hired me to go ahead and uh, be the lab instructor. And I got to um, meet Steve Ramsey, Dan, Dan Perkins, uh, Pam Bendio. Uh, we were all kind of, that was kind of a a time and an opportunity for like-minded people to get together and talk about what they wanted to do. And Steve went out and found some carrier current uh, transmitters. And funny enough, um, broadcasting is basically in the air. Carrier current, you actually just hook into the electrical system, I think. And Steve, if, he if we can find him, could tell us more. But 
uh, you it would broadcast throughout the dorms. And that's the way we started. So our broadcasting was a little bit different. It's more like a cable <laughs> than what you have now. Let me ask you this. Um, you, this was all just kind of new territory back in, in those days. Uh, what types of shows were you doing? How were you uh, deciding who did what? And I mean, you were a student as well. So what kind of time were you able to spend with radio? Too much, my professors would tell you. <laughs> um, we um, actually with the, uh, we would only broadcast from six to 10. And then we expanded it on Friday nights to midnight. So each person who was in the radio club would actually have a show that they would do. Uh, we tried to get the radio, uh, the record companies to give us free records, but they would not. So we had to buy a service that would send us each week the top 10 uh, pop songs or rock, what it was at the, at the time. You know, the, the more I keep thinking about it, the more I keep uh, hearing what you're doing there. Now, we probably should have done more of a talk show type thing also, but we did more... Um, more just playing music and trying to learn how um, to be broadcasters. Um, and so it was a, it was a pioneering time. I mean, I realized that uh, Marconi started the whole thing, but uh, I still felt like we were just pioneers and trying to get to, to reach the students and that. Yeah, so just uh, take me through just some of the programs that you guys did. What were you, besides playing music, what were you doing? Basically, that was it. And some of them, some of our guys that were in the in the radio club had great personalities and would do some little bit of comedy and that type of thing. But basically, it was just playing um, just like a rock and roll station would have back in the 60s and 70s, uh, kind of screaming radio. <laughs> and you said you went by the nickname The Duke. I went uh, by the nickname The Duke, yeah. Yeah, did that come with a persona, or or what did you do when you were on the radio? Do you have like a radio voice? This you, you're getting it now. <laughs> this is the best it gets. <laughs> yeah, you know uh, Charlie Freed and I can't remember those guys had. Uh, I don't. Most people don't know who Charlie Freed is, but uh, those guys were booming voices. As um, radio has gone on. It's more of a natural, just your voice. It doesn't matter whether or not you have a bass or a soprano or whatever. Uh, it's just uh, back then we were more, you know, it's KVIK, that type of thing. You know, you're listening to the Rolling Stones on KVIK. <laughs> so we tried to emulate the rock jocks out of California, KHJ and KFRC in San Francisco and those types of uh, disc jockeys. Um, we would get discs from, uh, I don't know where they came from, but it would have all the disc jockeys around the country. And um, you probably, uh, we would listen to the different disc jockeys and try and emulate them. So the persona of the uh, name, the Duke was just, the name, you know, didn't go by my first name or last name. 
as as I went on in uh, in uh, into the commercial world and started on uh, radio stations, uh, I just used my regular name. Uh, I'm I'm imagining that this was just a great way for students in their dorms and whatnot to hear just the best music of the day. How was it received and how was the administration for you guys? I know sometimes with rock and roll administrations throughout the country weren't weren't always favorable. Yeah. Kay Wilkins uh, had an iron fist on uh, what we could play. Uh, as you know, uh, it's not like radio or music today. They get away with a lot of uh, vulgarity and things like that. But I, I remember one night I was on the radio and I got a, uh, not John Denver. Oh, that's a good story. Uh, we had one, one, that was, oh, you know what? Now I now that I think about it. Um and I'm sorry I'm rambling here, but I just you just reminded me that we did have talk shows on there. As we would have the concerts that would come, uh, we would interview the uh, different bands that would come. And one of them was Kenny Rogers in the uh, first edition at the time. And Kenny Rogers, <laughs> interestingly enough, I got to go in the back room, you know, before the concert and just uh, kind of asking all the guys, you know, a little bit about the music and things they did. And I, I bet you learn as you go in this industry. And so we were just so young. And I remember my, one of my first questions to Kenny and the group was, so what do you think of Rexburg as a whole? Arousing? Yes, it is. <laughs> So you you need to script and know what you're going to ask before you make those kinds of mistakes. But we had John Denver, uh, and we got to we we got to play those shows and that type of thing, and learn a little bit of history about some of the artists that came to Ricks at the time. Yeah, I'm just thinking about those stars. Uh, we we have concerts today, of course, but. Uh, I think of the most popular acts may not make it to Rexburg, but they were coming in the Ricks College days. Yeah, yeah, we had we had a a good um, the activities or the the people who put it together back then. They put together some really, you know, when John Denver came, he wasn't even the uh, actual person who did "Leaving on a Jet Plane." He wrote the song, and I can't remember who did "Leaving on a Jet Plane." But it became a big hit. John Denver came, sang that song, and said, "I wrote it." And we were kind of like, "Oh, this is cool," you know. We, and then he became a big star after that uh, with his own songs. Yeah. Um, did did students kind of get to know you? Like, would you walk around campus and they knew who you were? You know, not really. No. No. Radio is uh, kind of a solemn thing. Uh, you, you're just in a little room by yourself talking, and hopefully uh, you're connecting to the people on the other side. And um, yeah, no, nobody really knew who we were. Uh, the most exciting thing we did was we got involved with, uh, let's see if I can, Pity Lineback was running for um, Queen at Ricks College. I guess I don't have it here. But um, we we sponsored her 
And uh, so we advertised her. And in order to reach the whole school, we put up uh, Steve Ramsey and Don, Dan and, and some of the others put up speakers around the uh, quad there. So we would broadcast uh, to everybody so they would know that she was running for, I don't know, I, I guess it was Rick's College Queen or something. She ended up being first attended. But that was where we really connected with uh, kind of the hierarchy of the you know student body and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, what was it like to be engaging in radio when you were you were pioneers at Rick's College doing this new thing? Uh, what did it feel like? Oh, we thought we were on the top of the world. You know, we finally made it. Somebody's listening to us. <laughs> and uh, and it was fun because when you get like-minded people who are very interested in um, the same thing, one thing leads to another. And as I recall, we did a, a trip down to Salt Lake and went to KSL and took a tour. And one of the girls there... Uh, Frost, I can't remember, Karen Frost, I think, she ended up getting a job as the receptionist at KSL. And we thought, oh my gosh, somebody's hit the big time, you know, she's the receptionist. <laughs> but it was an opportunity to be in broadcasting. And that's what happens is that if you get in with kind of a club organization and like-minded people, and people who want to, you know, excel in that uh, profession, uh, you get people who are talking back and forth and creating. And uh, that's kind of where you uh, network. And some of these people get into jobs and then they network and then they get you into those. When I left uh, Rick's college, I ended up uh, getting into uh, BYU and uh I got into the TV side, but I became a technical engineer, which was actually putting Sesame Street on and uh, and those types of things. And uh, so I got to learn a little bit more. And then uh, I got to do the FM radio with KSL, uh, with K not KSL, with uh, BYU, where we did news programming and uh, that type of thing. And then that leads to another person who wants to do something else and something else. And so um, you kind of gradually move from there. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say what you learned at Rick's college helped you throughout your career? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a stepping stone just uh, by having those people who said, Hey, I can get some carrier current, uh, transmitters instead of us just talking into a microphone and uh, we wouldn't even we would record our shows and play it back to ourselves all of a sudden we went to reaching the girls dorms the boys dorms and and that type of thing did they were we were we big radio disc jockeys i don't think so i don't think anybody would have remembered our names um they just liked the music <laughs> I'm just thinking about our facilities here. So right now I'm in a building that's just BYU-Idaho Radio and we broadcast three stations and uh, we we hire a dozen students or so and they they do most of the work. It's, it's so cool to see them 
learn and, and progress and do interviews and put together shows and, and do all these things. What were the facilities like uh, when you were starting KVIK? You know, uh, do you, are, are you, you don't, yours is all digital now, probably, right? right. Everything's digital. Right. But we, I mean, I have record players and CD players and things as well. Yeah. <laughs> we had, I think, one turntable in order to play. There was, I don't know how to explain this any better than on the, on one of the racks, you would actually have a, you know, what uh, audio tape looks like, like, you know, mm -hmm. little half inch audio tape. Well, this was an audio tape that was probably 12 inches wide and you would pull a lever out and move it to one of the different parts on that audio tape. And interestingly enough, it, most of the time you're trying to talk and try and move it and find the right place. And most of the time, everything would end up being the wrong thing you wanted to play. Um, and then, you know, it went to, you, you had a tape, player and then you would play something on that and then it went to cassettes and uh now you have everything at your fingertips where you just push a button and it's all in the computer so uh we didn't really have much uh we had a turntable and uh the pots were you know uh with a key at the top which would turn them on and off it was pretty antiquated at that time, but we thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm just thinking about what it takes to get some of these machines and, and things to help make radio. And it's it's hard. It's expensive. And BYU, well, Rick's College at the time uh, didn't have a ton of money. And so to have this opportunity, I think, was probably a big deal for the students. We, the radio club was the one who came up with the money. I mean, we got uh, Steve Ramsey and uh, Dan Perkins and some of the other people went out. Uh, as I said, Steve was the uh, station manager and he'd get things donated and they would jerry rig everything <laughs> to get everything to work. So most of it just came out of our pocket. Yeah. There wasn't a lot that the school or anybody donated to. Were, did you collaborate at all with area radio stations? Were they interested in helping? Not at all. No. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. I even tried to get on the radio station. I can't remember. What's the radio station? Is it St. Anthony? There, there was one at the time in St. Anthony. Not anymore. Yeah. Um, the, the big one in the area was KID. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's in Idaho, Idaho Falls. Falls. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the St. Anthony station, I tried to talk to them. Um, they thought that we were just whining little kids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, we didn't go very far with them. Yeah. Have you ever uh, heard of a gentleman by the name of Carl Perkins? Uh, Carl Watkins. Carl Watkins. Um, Watkins is a big name, yeah. but Well, Carl... Um, actually went in his, at the time we were doing the radio, he was an engineer for that, that St. Anthony radio station. And I believe he was on there. Now he's on, um, sounds of Sunday up oh. here, uh, on FM 100, I believe. Um, but Carl's been kind of around the whole world and doing things like that. But I remember him going into his 
closet and recording a record called Angel. And we would play that song. We played that song on KBIK. <laughs> Did you have a lot of that where students who maybe had their own music wanted to or give you give you tape to play? No, I think Carl was the only one I can remember at this point. Now, some of the other guys who were on the radio and in the radio club might have done that. Not to my knowledge, though. Yeah. Were you broadcasting out of a school building or were you, I understand Spory building is the Spory trailer? building still there so the original Spory is not they rebuilt it um 2000 I'm trying to remember it, I think it opened in 2003 is the new one was dedicated yeah so that way we have our own building is when they were taking that down and then it ultimately burned down they built us a, a building so that we could still operate when they were going through that process of rebuilding the Spory yeah, we were on the third floor of the Spory building, and mm-hmm. I taught a lab in there. And I remember, I think I got paid a dollar sixty an hour, and I probably did one hour a day, <laughs> and that helped pay for some of the things we had to do. Like I said, we had to uh, we had to pay a service to send us uh, the records, so we all contributed to get those records. Yeah, I mean, you think about clubs and the effort you put into them. Why was this so important to you and the people in the radio club that you'd spend your own money and spend so much time doing this? I think it's just we wanted to be creative. We wanted to. Um, wow, that's that's a deep question, and I'm not that deep. <laughs> I um, I think we just. It's just like a football team. People want to play football together. We wanted to play radio together. And we wanted to go someplace with it. And we all collaborated and thought we were going someplace. Now, you mentioned that you went to BYU after Rick's college. And I see right behind you a, a Balderdash poster. You got into TV and started doing a, a daily show. Um, I understand. Can you tell me a little bit about that? We, uh, when I went to um, BYU, I met a gentleman by the name of Larry John, and he was on a TV show in um, Arizona, and uh, it was called the Lou King Rangers Show. But he was a tap dancer and an announcer at five and eight years old on that show. And um, that carried over to when he was in at BYU that I was on a, a radio station that played three three records in a row, uh, Mitch Miller, uh, Liberace, and The Living Strings. That <laughs> so He was on KOVO, which was a rock and roll station, and I wanted to be on the rock and roll station. So we got to be very good friends as... Uh, students at at BYU, and uh, he helped me get over to KOBO. We started talking. He had had wanted to get onto TV again, and so uh, we went up to KSL and um, tried to sell our concept of a hotel balderdash to KSL. We had an appointment. 
the sales manager didn't show up. So we went to channel two, which said, sorry, we only want educational programs. So we went across the street. They were all on Social Hall Avenue at that time in Salt Lake. And um, we walked into KTVX, KCPX at the time. Uh, Columbia Pictures owned it. And um, when we got there, uh, the general manager told us, well, we uh, just, I don't know whether they fired or let go or he quit. It, his name was uh, Ron Ross and he was Fireman Frank who did a kid's show. So they gave us an opportunity to do a screen test. And um, next thing you know, we were on the on TV and uh, we had the highest rated morning show, which the um, they didn't have before, but it was a good lead in to the rest of the day. At that time, you didn't have all the the, um, you know, um, no cable TV, no, no lots of. Channels, yeah, right? yeah. And, and so in order to change the channel, you had to get out of your chair and turn the channel. So. Uh, it was a good lead in for the the programming for the rest of the day because the kids were go getting up, uh, going to school. They would turn us on. They would leave the TV on and then mom or dad or whoever would continue watching Channel 4. So Channel 4 um, had uh, a, a good audience lead in. That's what we were explained, that they really liked the fact that we had such a huge audience. Yeah. And you did that, uh, what, 10 years yeah, 1972 to 82. Yeah. Wow. And and what kind of character did you play? <laughs> I was, uh, uh, well, we had the uh, hotel manager, which was Cannonball. Harvey was the bellhop. And then we had the rich kid who lived upstairs. It was a, it was a melodrama. He would always try and get Harvey in trouble. And uh, I'll tell you one quick story. Of, uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of them because... Uh, anyway, one year that uh, Raymond came up with the idea. Uh, Raymond was the rich kid in the hotel, and he was always conniving. And he decided that he was going to kidnap Santa Claus. Well, that didn't go off well because <laughs> the uh, phone lines lit up. Parents were mad. Their kids were screaming. They were crying that there's not going to be a Christmas. So we had to come on the, we actually, everything was taped. So the general manager put it to us that we had to go on live and show that Santa Claus was not kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there were antics, uh, you know, we had public service announcements with the zoo and the police department and things like that. Um, but we did little melodrama things in between. It was two hours, 6.45 to 8.45 in the morning. Yeah. Just amazing the the idea that you were able to produce so much content because this was daily, oh. Monday through Friday, right? And Monday you taped once a week or so? We tape on Monday night, so I never got to watch Monday night football or family home evening. <laughs> uh, every Monday night, and we'd have, oh, I'd say 60 kids would sit in the lobby waiting to come on because on Monday you'd have a group of kids on and they would leave. And then you'd have another group of kids. And we had some fun things. We had a Harvey bag, which was filled with things and uh, people would 
try, uh, we would give Harvey bags to each of the kids that had candy and games and things like that in it. So, um, so we, we actually came up with some really clever things. Um, you know, we had, uh, we had contests constantly that uh, kids would send in uh, for Father's Day and Mother's Day, why they loved their mom or dad and things like that. And then we would, we would have the kids on the show and then give things, give things to them for uh, participating, you know, artwork, things like that. So it, it, it actually was interactive at the time, really very interactive. I I bet there are so many people in Utah who remember this show and would just, they're all dead. They're all well. I doubt <laughs> it. I doubt it because, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'd remember this. I didn't. I didn't grow up in Utah at that time, but um, that would have been fun to watch every morning, getting ready for school and coming home and and seeing the the afternoon show. That would have been great. Yeah, it did. Uh, there was there were times that. Uh, we'd we'd get together and we'd have to put all five shows together and and you're right there for a while they lost a show uh, on ABC and so they came to us and said we want to put you on in the afternoon so we did shows in the morning and then the afternoon and uh the it it taxed us in writing enough stuff everything was ad-lib though nothing was scripted everything was ad-lib so we we worked really well together. It was amazing that we could figure out where we were going with a skit and a routine. Yeah. We were only on in the morning in that two-hour time with commercials and, and cartoons. We were only, I think, 22, 24 minutes of that time was our time. Yeah. Uh, even that, that's a lot of time. To, yeah. to come up with with content and and be entertaining for children, especially who have a very short attention span. Yeah. Um, as as you think about your career and the time you spend as a student on radio, what what does that mean to you today? As you reflect on on those times, yeah, I it was a dream of mine to be on the radio. Never was a dream to be on TV. TV, I have to tell you, is not as fun as radio. Radio, you are who you are. And TV, uh, you've got 16 people. You got three cameras. You got microphones. You got audio. You got lighting people. And you're stopping down and you're waiting. And it's, uh, it's not as spontaneous as radio. And I love the spontaneity of radio. And I like the communication of radio. Um, and uh, I, I, uh, I think that radio is, it's sad where it's gone. It's gotten to be so cookie cutterish, um, uh, where everybody plays the same thing and nobody has anything else to say other than the call letters and um, that type of thing. Uh, there's too many people who are trying to program to the mass audience where personalities were the thing back in the day personalities and i think we're missing those personalities but um tv loved it and you said did anybody recognize me when i was on the radio no when i wrote a check at the grocery store they'd say oh i've heard you but tv 
is like uh, you're in somebody's house every day and people think they know you and people think that they can come up and say, hey, good to see you, Harvey. You know, that type of thing. That was my character's name on the TV show. Do people still come up to you? Do they recognize you still today? Well, um, not as much, no. And and the, the, the thing with radio I was going to mention is there's a connection to the community because you're doing commercials, you're interviewing people, and you connect to the community and you know the community very well that way. I mean, I, I can remember down in Provo doing some uh, election things where I'd get to talk to all the uh, the people who are trying to get elected and find yeah. out more about them. And you're getting in with and hobnobbing with people who are uh, progressive and trying to move ahead in this world, you know, and good people. So you get to get to know a lot of really good people. And that expands your horizon also because it gives you more opportunities. Right. Yeah. I, I just think of the work that we do today is really just the same thing, right? Radio radio has changed, but at, at its basic um, idea is that connection. Um, I tell my students, you're not talking to a large audience. You're talking to one person. You're sitting in the car right next to him and you're having a conversation. Perfect. And and it's, I mean, it's that connection that, that people really feel, especially with audio. Um, today, we're in their ears. They're wearing the headphones or earbuds, and we're right there talking to them, having that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, what's nice is people can respond to you. They can either listen to you or not listen to you, but you know where you're at and where your direction is with it. So, yeah, I think radio is, I loved radio. I loved radio and um, did a lot of radio at different radio stations, even got back into country music <laughs> as it goes around. So, do you have any advice for students who uh, may or may not? end up in radio or TV, but, but like to create, um, they're coming to BYU, Idaho. They're, they're coming here to learn something new. What advice would you have for them? You know, um, I think I already said it, so I'm going to just kind of go over it again, get with like-minded people, people who you can't do it on your own. And that's what I, that was hard for me to learn. You can't do it on your own. You have to get out and network with people. Um, so talking to other people spurs freedom of thought and uh, creativity and things that you want to do. And I, I just think that the opportunities um, come from a lot of people interacting and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, social media is not connecting to people. It's face-to-face, -face, in the classroom, uh, going, to, uh, going to a radio station and just sitting and talking to the disc jockeys, talking to the sales department, talking to the people that you want to, you want to work with. Um, that's networking at its best. And being uh, directed. I think a lot of people nowadays don't direct. 
They kind of just think, well, I'll try this and then I'll try that. Find out what fits for you and then go for it and don't give up. I mean, I have to tell you, the broadcasting industry is mean. (laughs) They can be brutal. Um, You'll send a tape or something to somebody and they'll say, that's the greatest thing I ever heard. And you'll never hear back from them. Then you hear from somebody else who will say, I don't think that'll work for us. Uh, And so you have to have a thick skin also. And you have to keep trying and ask the question, what is it that you need? Always try and feel, fill the need, fill the need that that person's looking for. Well, Randy Lavoie, you're so great to spend some time with me and talk about the Ricks College days, KVIK, and and your career after that. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brandon.